0: Great
1: form by you hitting play on this podcast. Now, check out Same Racer, the brand new racing app for same race multi-tips. Same Racer. Download from the App Store and Google Play. Powered by Bluebet. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858.
0: Welcome to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything.
2: Hello, my name is Tim McMillan. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Stories brought to you by Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Uh, my guest in this episode has just been announced as WA's Australian of the Year for 2022. Quite the honour. Uh, he's someone who spent a large part of his career as a member of the WA Police Force. Uh, in the latter stages of his time in uniform, uh, he was part of a tech and cyber crime unit. Uh, he then went out uh, on his own, left the police force and now primarily teaches people, uh, particularly school age kids around the country, about the dangers that lurk online from scammers, hackers, predators, you name it. Uh, the fact that he's uh, able to join us and talk about his work in the studio uh, is some achievement in itself after a horrific motorbike accident back in 2004 that left doctors uh, Wondering, doubting if he'd be able to walk or work again. So let's meet WA's Australian of the Year for 2022, Paul Litherland. Hello, Paul.
1: Hi, Tim. Thanks for having me.
2: Are, are you are you carrying this honour yet? Is it, is it sort of sitting comfortably um, with you yet?
1: it, it was been a pretty overwhelming, I'll be honest with you. But uh, it was. I think after that first week, it was good to get back into schools and and sort of get back into... What I like doing, which is just talking to to my yeah. audiences and, and interacting with uh, the the communities there, but uh, yeah, been it's been great. It's a great yeah. honour that I'm very proud of. It's um, incredible. Yeah, mm.
2: yeah, yeah. First, talk us through the moment. You know, the the the, the ceremony. Um, what are your reflections on? Wow.
1: Um, <laughs> to be honest with you, Tim, I I went there when I was nominated. I thought, yeah, that's great. I'm I'm pretty proud. Wrapped at that. I, I honestly went there thinking, oh, we're at the Western Hotel. Free feed. Um, pretty pretty decent sort of uh, place to go and, and have a, an interaction with some some other like-minded people. Um, but I, I was completely shocked. Um, yeah. I mean, we were sharing a table with one of the senior uh, Australian of the Year uh, nominees and, and uh, she was a professor. And when I heard my name called out, I I cursed. I, I won't say the <laughs> word I said, but I looked across to the professor and I thought, oh my God, I'm so sorry I swore. And she, she was clapping. And at that stage, I'd felt my wife taking my pants saying, um, Paul, you've you got to get up, you've got to get up, because I, I heard my name, but it just didn't,
2: didn't, didn't register. sink in. Yeah, incredible. Uh, so what does it mean for you for the year ahead? Extra responsibilities? What do you have to do uh, you know, when you are the official West Australian Australian of the year?
1: Well, oh, they've thrown quite a few dates at me already, which is great, and it gives me an opportunity to continue to, uh, I suppose, spread my word and my voice in regards to, to what I'm doing. Um, so for me, every opportunity I can to, I suppose, speak to as many audiences as I can in regards to spreading my word in, in regards to cyber safety and, mm. and, and awareness. Uh, yep. So the more opportunities I can get to do that, the
2: better. What What's a typical day for you then? I I know you spend a lot of time talking to to school kids, so let's assume that's a a typical day. Mm -hmm. What do do you actually do?
1: Normally, I mean, I get out to school. So on a busy week, you're probably doing 13 presentations a a week. So that includes student sessions, all age groups. I talk to year fours right up to year 12s and then evening parent sessions or staff professional development days. So for me, any given day is just uh, jump in the car to, to my next school and then, uh, talk about the risks I'm seeing and, and what I was seeing at tech crime and, and just pushing, uh, I suppose, that, that awareness to the, to the kids, especially in regards yep. to sort of assessing their online worlds. And then in the evening when I do a parent session, just sort of talking to them about what I spoke to the kids about and, and what they can do to help minimise risk as well.
2: Yeah. How are we going with it? We know it's a, a big bad world out there and there are some pretty nefarious characters mm. that lurk yeah. um, on the internet. Um, how are we going uh, do you think your your work is of course it's making a difference mm. but are we winning
1: i, I think we are mate I, I mean we're starting to see i think uh, i suppose a, a crest to the to the hill or we're looking over that precipice now in regards to starting to see real cultural shift in in regards to how we use the internet we've been more aware in regards to how some of us well, most of us are probably being manipulated for for data content in regards to advertising. So starting to be more transparent in that regard, which is good. Uh, Our kids are also getting so much more resilient than they have in the past, I think, Tim. So getting that opportunity for them to take on the ownership of their online responsibilities and and safety, I I think that's where we're going to see some real strong drive for change. Mm. And and that's why I'm I suppose I have so much empathy for kids and so much pride for the kids that they're, they're starting to make that cultural shift themselves. So yes, there's some still some horrible stuff out there that we're constantly seeing, but but I've, I'm i starting to see a real trend now in the peaks of those sort of incidents starting to, to level off a little bit, which is good.
2: Is that because the kids who are growing up with it, it's second nature to them yeah. being online. Yeah, um, They're just so much more au fait with how the, the World Wide Web yeah. works and they're better able to see the dangers that yeah, might come, come their way. 100%.
1: And I mean, this this generation, I mean, kids who are now 13, 14 years of age, they're the first generation to know the internet their entire life. And, and it sounds so corny. I say to the kids, I was just at Nedlands Primary School this morning, and I said, you guys are the future. You're fives and sixes, so you kids are the future. And, and as corny as that sounds, they are because they're starting to make the difference, because they're starting to push away from those apps who are not caring for them. They're starting to push away from those games who aren't protecting them as much. So, that shift is is something I'm really yep. proud of and and continue to really emphasise because they are they are pretty techy kids and and they're smart.
2: When, when you talk to the school age kids, what are you mostly warning them about? About scammers or about predators who might mm. be trying to groom them? About um, you know extremists who want to radicalise people through online forums, yeah. what are those sort of the principal dangers that you're alerting them to? The,
1: the good thing with a with a surf online safe presentation, Tim, is you sort of every age group you're dealing with different yep. different stuff. So, uh, I mean, a, a, a cyber safety presentation to a year five or six student is going to be completely different to a year twelve. So, for the juniors, yeah, you'll get into gaming and and the introduction of social networking because they're starting to push push into those areas now in huge numbers, and then uh second visit maybe as year 6s and 7s you're talking about grooming then as with 8s you talk about cyberbullying and then 9s you get into nudes so by the time you get to a year 12 group you really it's almost a farewell it's okay this is the stuff we've spoken about and and you really get a chance to push them into the real world and and one of the proudest things I I, I deal with as an educator in WA is um I, many of my schools I've been speaking to the kids since they were year 5 uh, Leeming Senior High School, one of my favourite schools. I mean, last year I had Year Twelves in tears because I said, oh, "We're not going to see you again, Paul," because <laughs> you, you've been part of their life. And, and for me, that makes me so proud because you've—they've heard your messages so much, and, and it's always changing and evolving with them. Yeah, and that's important to me.
2: I haven't seen one of your sessions, Paul. <laughs> you weren't doing it when I was at school, that's for sure. It's probably because no, the internet not wasn't that long, around. Mate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I've heard one of the things that you that you have. Done or that you do with kids is to um, pick a couple of a couple of kids in the crowd and almost profile them and tell them things that you've been able to glean from their social media profiles, and it just freaks the hell out of these yeah. kids. Can yeah. you talk us through how that works, how you do it, and what sort of impact that has <clears throat> on the kids that you're speaking uh, to?
1: Only with my most trusted schools, so kids I've been dealing with for a number of years, I've built yeah. trust and rapport with. Uh, I, I don't, I never pick on individuals, but what I will do is is I'll I'll create an online persona um, through one of the main social networking apps as an example and and I'll just trawl online footprint to see how big that particular school's footprint is. What I'll then do is I say right um, the simple line is I don't know any of you in the room should I be able to jump online and find information about you And, and most of them go no that's not right if you can and then all of a sudden you'll just throw some numbers out so I'll say look out of a And and mate, I'll pick on my son's school for an example. Um, When my boy was year nine, um, I I created a Facebook account. Uh, He had 196 year nines in his cohort. Uh, I found 117 of them on social networking, on Facebook, and then just basically just jumped online to see how much data I could find, how much information I could find. When I did the presentation to that cohort, I was able to say, look, this is how many of you I was able to identify in school uniform, how many play which footy club on the weekend, which netball club, who plays cricket, um, how many older brothers and sisters are at the school. So all that information we're able to glean simply from trawling social networking. Mm. And the reason I love doing that, especially with my closest schools, is it draws a line in the sand for them because they just assume only my mates will see it. Um, Mm. it, It's just who's who's interested in me. So it's not until you get into that real culture of use that you start to, not scare them. I try to not use that word, but it, it, they go, holy, Get holy to cow, who is about this bloke? Anyway. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and that's what it's about for yeah. me so much. That's what it's about.
2: And are they shocked
1: when you yeah. throw that on them? Yeah. And, yeah. and especially when you say, look, this is this is how easy it is. And, and especially when I really continue to emphasize my fight in regards to, look, guys, I'm here to help protect you. Uh, I'm I'm here as an educator, but think of the fact that if if this was someone who had a nefarious intent, how easy it is to find that data. So for me to really emphasize that point of how vulnerable they are and how poorly they're being protected online by the the network creators. So that's my big change at the moment, what I'm trying to get to.
2: Yeah. Recently we saw uh, pressure on the social media companies from our federal government Mm. uh, to make them, I suppose, more culpable. Um, when you have situations of, um, you know, abuse that, that gets into legally dangerous territory, defamatory territory, um, or just, you know, abuse that might constitute a criminal act. Um, from what you've seen of the way that, you know, we've, we've developed our approach to social media and the platforms that run them, um, are we still miles behind? Are they still taking the responsibility that they should or if we still got a lot of I don't, I don't believe there. they
1: are I mean I, I believe government are working very well um, I believe policing organizations globally are are working as hard as they can but with with the internet Tim, there's no borders no. so one of the biggest frustrations we had at tech crime when I was working there is the fact that if if someone's grooming a child in Perth and that that person may be in in Germany or or Uzbekistan mm-hmm. then there's there's no way that we can really act on that because a lot of the networks won't provide information. A lot of people will be able to hide on online. So those hurdles in place were just so hard to get over. Um, the internet doesn't have borders. So as a result of that legislation, uh, sometimes I say refused. In the past, yeah, I would agree with that, refused to keep up. But I think now it, they're starting to get there, but we still have so many hurdles yeah. in place because there's no there's still no real legislation governing social networking. Uh, no. There's no, real no legislation governing the creation of online environments. That's where I think the change needs to occur.
2: Yeah. And the response from social media companies to yeah. <laughs> attempts to enforce legislation on them is usually, yeah,
1: mm, Well, they don't right, have whatever. to, and yeah. this is where I, I get frustrated. Shrug their shoulders, move on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and... and I mean, I, I pick on uh, Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg, uh, because he's the leading mm. social networking organization in, in the world, but so often we keep hearing the sentences, oh, we should have done better there, or maybe mm. we should have done this, or maybe we should have done that. But in reality, there's no legal obligation or even civil obligation onto that to do, yeah. for them to do that. Yep. Morally, there is, Yeah, but um, morals don't really give your, your bank account a boost. So <laughs> yeah. so that's where we need to push that. And, yeah. and organisations, not just me, there's some e commission is doing some amazing, amazing work in this country to really push that emphasis back to them to say, let's start taking some responsibility for the yeah. ethical or, or safety by design of our networks.
2: We need to take a break in a minute. After that, I want to ask you about the dark web. Yep. But just before we go to the break, in terms of the dangers for kids uh, and their exposure to to, to other... Heinous characters on there, or, or just the dangers, you know, of of cyber bullying. Which is the worst platform, do you reckon? Which is the which is the the one that kids find themselves in trouble most on? Wow, uh, mate.
1: What I what I throw that back quite often, Tim, to to a kid or a parent who asked that question is, okay, well, tell me what the most dangerous motor vehicle is, make or model, and it's hard to pinpoint that and in reality, so much of it's not what they use, it's how they use. So, uh, I mean, Discord is one of our biggest rising apps at the moment, Uh, a gaming environment where you can talk about online gaming. Yes, there's a lot of bullying in there. Um, It's not moderated, but we can also be picked on on Snapchat and and Instagram quite heavily as well. So so much of it, it's it's cyclic. So Mm. Discord will pop up and then all of a sudden TikTok and Snapchat will pop up again. So, To answer that question as one particular, uh, it's almost impossible to get an answer. No one is worse than another. that's exactly
2: right. All right, let's take a break. Paul Litherland is our special guest in this episode. uh, Western Australia's Australian of the Year for 2022. We'll talk about the dark web right after this.
0: You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything.
2: Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Cyber safety warrior, if I can call him that. Paul Litherland is our special guest in this episode. Paul, tell me about the dark web. we talk about the dangers that kids expose themselves to online. Um, The dark web is still such a mystery to so many people. Firstly, the obvious question, what is the dark web and how does one access it?
1: The dark web is basically a series of of websites or or online environments which are well hidden. Um, They're usually hidden behind uh, Tor networks or what we call onion networks, where just layers and layers of of ability to hide behind um, VPNs and and different servers all over the world. Um, I think and And this is where we 're sharing uh drugs we're we are we selling drugs sorry we 're sharing child pornography material so there 's a whole i suppose another world in regards to where that really dark side of the internet can hide away uh, i 'm still not seeing a lot of kids involved in the dark world, but we're about but the problem we have now mate, is is it 's so easy for kids to search and and google and and gather data and gather information so that ability for them probably 10 years ago to get into the real dark side of the internet was was non-existent, but now th- there are ways that they can sort of trip, trip yeah. into that environment, unfortunately.
2: I think uh, when you talk about the, the, the level of generational knowledge there, you know, parents of the kids who are at school at the moment probably aware of dark web, mm. scared of dark web, mm. don't quite understand the dark web, but know for sure that they don't want their kids on the dark yeah. web. <laughs> yeah. how, I mean, how do you advise parents to keep kids off the dark web to stop even Googling, how do I get on yeah. the dark
1: web? Well, and, and that's a, a constant battle. And and we, we also still need to remember that most of our, our kids, and, and probably uh, we could be looking at anywhere between 13 to 16 years of age, are still generally concerned about stumbling across or visiting something that's going to upset them emotionally or, or mentally. Yeah. So they're still concerned about that. Uh, a, a lot of people would have us believe that kids are out there deliberately looking for these environments. That's not necessarily the case. So for me, so much of it's about that continued communication and, and conversations as often as we can, um, putting the right measures of security in place at home, uh, blocking sites, um, and but more importantly, just continuing if we do see inappropriate online content from our kids, just to address that in the most open way that we can without going off our tree. So at least then by the time your kid does get to maybe 16, 17 and they might be pushing into maybe purchasing drugs online through, uh, a, a dark site, uh, that they, at least they've got that, I suppose, understanding and, and that respect of culture of use. Mm. So that's what we're trying to shift to.
2: Yeah. Um, are you a computer nerd yourself?
1: <laughs> um, yeah, I'd call myself a nerd. I, I suppose I would. I mean, my background, web design, graphic design. I mean design. That, not in a derogatory <laughs> no, sense at no. all. No, keep or nerd. It's a, its a, it, it, whether one is one and one is the other, I'm not sure. But um, yeah, I'd call myself a nerd, but more in regards to uh, shifting away from, uh, I suppose, that generic term and now pushing into education, I suppose. And awareness yeah. has sort of seen me in a different realm yeah. now. But yeah, yeah. Um, I, Gallagher was my favourite game as a kid, so you'd probably know that one. But then we pushed into <laughs> web design and graphic design, and then yeah. uh, before we know it, uh, we were up at tech crime. So it was good.
2: So you, you've always been fairly savvy on a computer, um, into the tech. <laughs> uh, yes and no. Yeah. It,
1: it, the good thing about the online world and and computers in general is they're quite easy to. Once you get into them, once you start getting nitty an gritty, they're actually not that that. Uh, difficult. Uh, it's just overwhelming getting over that first hurdle yeah. for parents. And that's yeah. why I say at a parent session, when I talk about blocking internet connection at home, maybe through a modem, they go, oh my God, no idea, no idea. But once we get into the, the ways of doing it, it's it's actually pretty easy. Yeah. For you, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's, go,
2: let's go back to your younger years though. What, what was it that drew you to the WA police force and made you want to maybe forge a career in the, as a police officer?
1: My, my father was a police officer, so I was second gen uh, WA police. So I suppose um, my father sort of sorted a lot of negatives in the job. Um, for me, I sort of wanted to maybe introduce myself into policing from a different perspective and, and see, I suppose, was it, was it as bad as others make out and, and really get that opportunity, I suppose, to get in and, and, and help people and be more involved, I suppose, in regards to community side of policing and rather than just, uh, I suppose the negative side of, mm. of, of, uh, of how the job was in the, in the early seventies and eighties. And
2: did he not enjoy it or did, was he, did he, was he burdened by the things yeah. that he saw and had to yeah, do? Yeah,
1: I think, I think it was that. I mean, yeah, I still saw some horrible stuff and we, we both would have during our careers, but. For me, I think he just probably struggled to take that on board uh, more than, or, or struggled to take that on, I suppose. Mm. Um, not as much as I was able to sort of embrace it, I suppose, and not not be affected by it as much. Um, it was different in those days. Policing was very different. Um, there was no real support for police officers. That's that's changed significantly through my career, which is good. Um, so yeah, and policing is so much there's so many different areas you can go. There's so many different things you can do. Yeah. So, yeah.
2: What did you do in your early years? What what area of police work um, my really first, grabbed you in my, your younger years?
1: My first station was Kwinana Police Station. So yeah. that was uh, a bit of an eye-opener for me as a, <laughs> as a junior constable. Um, but one of the things that grabbed me early is I, I was working with uh, Marty Atkins, obviously, so he, uh, a great ex-WA footballer, um, over the road at the Kwinana Senior High School. And, and mate, that's when it actually really started for me – in regards to working with kids and teens, especially Aboriginal boys, um really as a mentor in that that realm, so that's where I really got into the love i suppose of of being a i suppose a, a motivational police officer, not just the uniform, it was just the person behind it and and that's probably where I shifted much most of my career in regards mm. to building that yeah. that rapport
2: yeah and then through you know the many years that you were in the force um you have ended up in tech crime, but was there any other kind of police work that was maybe luring you towards it? You know, be it homicide or cold case or, you know, just sort of general community policing. Was there was there something that really grabbed you along the way or, or did you feel like you were always maybe destined to end up working in this area of law enforcement? No, mate. I
1: mean, I honestly never ever dreamed I'd end up at tech crime. I mean, um, but for me, I never really wanted to head up head off in a certain area. Some Many police officers will. They'll come in mm. with that thought, um, forensics or, or homicide or whatever. But one of the great things, and it sounds like a, I'm working at recruiting again and, and, and trying to <laughs> sell the job, but one of the great things about the WA Police, any policing agency, is the diversity. So um, I had five great years at Cottesloe Police Station. I thought, okay, let's move on to a different different area. So I went up to the academy as an instructor for a bit. So that ability to sort of, move in so many different areas, it, it took away, I suppose, that, oh, where do I want to go? Where do I want to end up? So th- that's, that's one thing which was really beneficial, I suppose, in yeah. regards to the job.
2: Yeah. Uh, 2004, life took a very sudden and extremely traumatic turn. Um, You had a horrific motorbike accident. Mm. I'll get you to share that story with us right after we take a break. This is Inspiring Stories. Paul Litherland is our special guest. Back with more in a moment.
0: You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome back to
2: Inspiring Stories. We are hearing the inspiring story of the 2022 Western Australian Australian of the Year. It's still quite a mouthful to get your your mouth around, isn't it? As is your name, Paul, Litherland. It sounds like a vocal warm-up. Litherland, 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 Litherland.
1: It's, um... (laughs) Uh, it was a curse sometimes. Uh, the old name badge was a bit long uh, as a police officer. I remember even at Cottesloe, you'd pick up the phone every now and again and you'd go, Paul Liverland, Cottesloe Police, and they'd hang up. And then five seconds later, they'd ring back and, oh, I thought it was Lickerland. I, I thought I was ringing Cottesloe Lickerland. So, um,
2: yeah. Easy mistake to make. Easy <laughs> mistake. 2004, your life suddenly took a, a near tragic turn, mm. uh, a catastrophic turn though, um, that's safe to say. What happened? Um, I was
1: heading home on my police bike and uh, the motorist got bogged in the freeway. This is before the train line went through down south uh, near Berrigan Drive and and he was well and truly stuck. So I just stood next to the bike and thought I'll call him a tow truck. Um, There was an inattentive driver who was, uh, I believe, on his mobile phone, um, looked up, saw brake lights in front of him, so swerved. And he hit me in the emergency lane, uh, at 80 k's an hour. So, uh, that threw Did me. Did you see it coming? No, no. no. I, I mean, I, I sensed it and that sounds so weird, but I sort of sensed him coming. Look, but it was too late. He hit the bike. Yep. Uh, the bike hit me and that threw me 10k, 10, uh, 10 meters down the freeway. Wow. Uh, landed on my backside, which pretty much stuffed me. I broke my back, ruptured three discs, um, hit my head on the road, which caused a a brain injury and and then um yeah so sat up on the freeway i remember it was a stickin stinking hot day and um my hands were hot on the surface of the road and as i sort of sat up there was a Tarana coming at me mate so and i thought that's it i'm gone so luckily he swerved um he was that close he broke my forearm um really? so yeah it was so he ran yeah, over your arm yeah yeah so it was a pretty pretty full wow. full on event
2: and you've got full memory of this oh now? Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah 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 so it did I mean, I, I, I got up off the, fr- the freeway. I walked off. Uh, my neurosurgeon said he couldn't believe that I was able to do that. But, um, but then, yeah, I, I sort of collapsed there and, um, six, six years worth of rehabilitation later six and years. three lots of surgery. Um, uh, yeah, we managed to get back yeah. into some sense of normality.
2: Uh, and at one point, I understand doctors couldn't guarantee to you that you'd be able to walk again, yeah. Initially, or, or go back to work nah, as you knew working. it.
1: Working, I mean, initially when I was in the ambulance um, and we got to the first emergency, um, they said, "Well, okay, there's a lot of damage there." So, because um, I couldn't feel my legs for the first six or seven hours, so I thought, "Oh my god, oh my god." Um, but after that, it thought sort of things settled down a little bit, which was great. But yeah, I was told pretty much within three months or four months that I'd never return to work again. Um, yeah. So yeah.
2: How do you take that on board?
1: Um, yeah, it was pretty scary. Um, I mean, I. I mean I was always fit I was always active um, I was playing footy right up until till that occurred um I just had we just had our son who was only 2 years old 3 years old so um very active so for someone to say well that's it you're not going to be able to do anything now for a while that was yeah it was it was a very difficult time physically yeah. and emotionally as well
2: When did you get the the news or the sense at least that you might be able to recover from this, that maybe the doctor's worst fears wouldn't materialize?
1: Yeah. Um, it's probably after my first lot of surgery um, that I, I really recovered well. Um, the benefit I had and and my neurosurgeon was amazing, one of the best in the country. And, and the biggest advantage I had, mate, was I, I wasn't a big person, so I was always fit and healthy. So most of my recovery was revolved around the fact that I wasn't putting extra pressure on my spine and um, by being overweight. So, and I continued that as much as I could. So once I, after about three years, I got back to my first real, um, return to work program as a police officer. And, and that was a magnificent day for me. Yep. Um, and then over, I think another two years before I got back to full time, um, but driving a desk, uh, mm. obviously. So, <laughs> um, and that was, yeah, that was great. Cause it was a very, very difficult time. Um, for, not only for myself, but my family as well.
2: Yeah, I bet what about the driver who hit you what um, became of that person
1: i think you got a got a Traffic infringement. Is that right? For careless driving. 2004,
2: so. was it made illegal then to use your phone? It probably um, wasn't, was it?
1: No, it wasn't. It wasn't. There was so no there real was legislation infringement. to that. That's um, extraordinary. And But but to their credit, I suppose, to the, the officers who may have given the fine, they wouldn't have really understood my injuries at that particular time. And yeah. it was too late. Once the ticket was given, they, they couldn't really take any further action. So
2: You had no um, contact with this person afterwards? No, no,
1: no, no, to that date of this. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he did apologise. Uh, um but he was just i suppose in the wrong spot at well i was yeah. in the wrong spot at the wrong time for sure but uh absolutely yeah but and, a, yeah. a
2: careless moment yeah that, that ended badly but could have been fatal. Yeah. yeah and i and easily. i think
1: it it's i mean i and it really impacted me i suppose emotionally as well i mean and i give massive credit to my wife estelle because she she dragged me out of some really really terrible terrible spots a, a okay. number of times and um and And I'll be honest with you, mate, people with back injuries, I'll go, yeah, okay, harden up, blah, blah, blah. But it's not until you've actually been in that world where everything you do, you use your back. It's not as Mm. though you can sling an arm or or get off a leg. It's everything you do is your back. And it's not until I had a a serious back injury that I realized, wow, how, how that significantly changes your life.
2: And how are you now? Are you hampered by it at all? Yeah. I mean,
1: I still have bad days. I still have good days, but uh, it's an old friend now, realistically, and, and I, especially if I've had a busy week, um, you've you got to make sure you, you spend a bit of time in the pool on a Saturday or a Sunday, but in reality, it's it's like I said- It's manageable. An, yeah. It's yeah. just an old friend now. It's good.
2: Been back on the motorbike at all? <laughs> uh
1: I, I, I love riding the police bikes, and I remember uh, you're, you're not as old as me, Tim, but Chips, remember Chips? <laughs> probably not uh, in the, in yeah.
2: Oh, great shot. In
1: the 80s, and I, I remember riding on a police bike thinking, oh, I'm getting paid is it for P- this. Is this it is Punch and, and Baker? Uh, Punch, I remember Punch, Punch, but I can't remember the other guy's oh, name, so there you go, you're doing better than now. I am. It's going to bug me. But, um, <laughs> So no, no bikes. My mum was alive at that stage. She said, no, never getting on a bike. I said, well, mum, I wasn't even on the bloody bike when I was hit. But anyway, so, (laughs) but after about 10 years, um, my, I, every time I walk, I, we went past a motorbike, I I went and my wife went, all right. So then I I bought a bike, but uh, yeah, I did. But, um, I rode it for about, over about five years, I probably rode it about 50 times or 30 times. And I just said, nah. Um, it, it actually worried me. It scared me. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so I said goodbye to my bike.
2: I'm uh, sure she was quite bit. pleased. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think she was deep down. Yes. Yeah. So tell me about the transition then into the the tech crime unit mm. at WA Police. Um, again, was it a, a fairly natural progression that you moved towards that, or? Did you have to skill up in a certain way or how did that all come about?
1: Well, I mean, when I was non-operational, so I was deemed non-operational in 2007. So I I had to make a choice in regards to what I had to do with the rest of my career. So um, I loved the internet. I I was loving web design. And and for me, image design is also actually part-time. I started photography to to sort of take my mind off my back. So I was getting really heavily into, pardon me, sports photography and all that sort of stuff. So. Um, I just, there was a spot that came up, one of the bosses I knew at Tech Crime and he said, oh, he knew about my background in regards to my skill online. And he said, well, there's a spot here you want to, want to grab it. And, and, and realistically it was the perfect opportunity for me yep. being a non-operational spot and, and a chance to do what I love. Yeah.
2: I suppose uh, those sorts of units, um, in police jurisdictions around the world were fairly new mm. back mm. then. Um, yeah. coming into it, you know, from the ground up. It must be rewarding to see how far it's come in, uh, in the time that you were there and even in the time since yeah, you've left. It,
1: it has, mate. I mean, in Australia, in reality, Australia and the UK were the only uh, policing agencies in the world who had a dedicated computer crime division. Uh, mm. Most other policing agencies around the world would just use fraud detectives to to deal with online matters because that's all we were really seeing is online fraud and scams. So uh, Australia, even today, are continuing to be at the, the forefront of, of how we respond to the online world. And, uh, so yeah, we, we saw some, I saw some pretty horrible things in that six years. Um, but, but that was pretty much born in regards to what I do now.
2: Can I, can I ask you about some of those Mm. terrible things that you have seen? You know, humans do to another human through this computer interface. Yeah. Pretty bad.
1: Yeah. It's, I mean, dealing with child exploitation material, especially as a dad, uh, that was, very worrying. I mean, there was times I'd, I'd come home and I'd just say, I'd just, midnight or, or 11 o'clock, and I'd just hug my son and go, okay, mate, I'm never going to let you anywhere near anything on the internet. But um, as much as we saw those negatives, uh, I, I saw some horrible, horrible stuff in regards to bullying and and obviously people being scammed, huge amounts of money, which yep. cost them their livelihoods as well. So, But as much as we saw the, the negatives, I, I was so proud to see obviously so many positives as well in regards to people who who were able to not get caught out or who were making mm. significant change in regards to protecting other users online.
2: Uh, people you've saved, uh, people you've helped over the years. Uh, are there any that, that stick in your mind? Ones that really, you know, made you feel proud to have done the day's work that you just um, done?
1: Yeah, mate, there's two, that's two that, that stand out for me. Number one, um, I did a presentation to a junior school in Perth. So year six came up to me afterwards and said, Oh, look, I'm worried about my photos getting out on the internet. And, mm. And once we got into the nitty gritty of, of what she meant by that, um, it, it turned out, uh, she was worried about some of her nude and, and sexual images getting out there. Now she was only year six and that really alerted my concerns obviously, but after a conversation with her and and one of the principals, we realized that she was actually being sexually assaulted. So, um, by, by an indirect family member. So that gave me an opportunity from simply just visiting her school to pull her out of that world because she had the trust to come and speak to me and, and that faith to do that. So that really ha- has made my world um, because that's what I'm all about is to be trying to get the kids to to be safe and to to get them to – there are people who they can trust to tell this information to. Um, there was another story which is um, I believe the one of the girls who was actually one of my year 10 students who's who nominated me for Australian of the Year um, – She was 14 or 15 years of age. She made an error of judgment, sent a a nude to her boyfriend. Uh, He, silly decision, he decided to share that with 47 of his mates at school, Tim. And and within 72 hours, her phone, her photo was just everywhere around the school. So she went through three months of of hell. Um, She was ostracized by her peers. People were approaching her at school for, for sex, thinking that that's the kind of girl she was when she wasn't. Um, and then she was just sitting in the library all day, every day and didn't want her parents to know. And, and she rang me about midnight one day, sobbing in her walk-in robe, um, saying that she was more than likely going to take her life. And so I said, no, let's, let's, let's have a chat. Let's get talking. And, um, said, no, I don't want mum and dad to know. I don't want mum and dad to know. And within, within two hours of a conversation, we had mum and dad on the phone with us. Yep. Um, and, and her dad was pretty much holding her hand at the end of the, the call saying, you're going to be okay. So that, that event in particular was the catalyst for me. Um, that was 2016. So Mm. that go, okay, this is where I need to start continuing to make those changes because there's people out there who no one knows that Mm. are suffering. So we just got to be a voice for them.
2: God, who'd be a parent these days, eh?
1: It's worrying mate. It it (laughs) is. But, but again, we come back to our first lot of conversation and the fact that our kids are getting resilient. They're getting better, but, and it, it sounds so negative, but I say this at a lot of my high school presentations, kids, it's not until it turns to poo that you realise how poorly you are protected online. Yeah. And for that girl in particular, that high school girl, that was so true. Mm. There was nowhere for her to get help. She couldn't tell her parents. She was too scared to spe- speak to teachers. So it, there's there's no real opportunity um, for her to get that image off the internet to Mm. stop it
2: being distributed.
1: That's the world we're in.
2: Yeah. It's a shame, isn't it? On that sombre note, let's take a break. (laughs) Paul Litherland is our special guest. This is Inspiring Stories. We'll be back with more soon.
0: You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Inspiring Stories for Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything.
2: Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Tim McMillan is my name. My special guest is Paul Litherland, the Western Australian, Australian of the Year for 2022. He'll have a, a very big year ahead uh, indeed. So we're lucky enough to have him uh, sharing some of his story with us uh, in this episode of Inspiring Stories. Paul, can I ask what? why did you leave the police force? You you obviously you know, in a a unit there that you're getting some reward from. Why did you leave?
1: I felt that I could do more in education, Tim, than I could as a police officer. Um, I mean, those hurdles I was embracing in regards to um, legislation and and enforcing the networks to get better, um, it was just too frustrating for me. So realistically, Surf On Safe was born out of just that frustration. So I, I started doing a couple of presentations at my kids' school in 2010,
2: as a still as an officer yeah, at that time, yeah, still as a police time. officer, yeah.
1: and then um, the following year there was another fifteen or twenty schools who wanted to see me, and then and then before you know it, um, I, I I had to make a decision in regards to whether I pursue my education. Dream or or stay stay as a copper and keep yeah. getting frustrated. So that's pretty much where we ended up. It's good.
2: You're still kind of a cop, aren't you? A community <laughs> style cop. Yeah, you, yeah. You kind of still are. Yeah,
1: and I think, don't think the job ever leaves you. Um, I mean, I miss the I miss the people. I miss, but I don't I don't miss some aspects of policing. But I think that sticks with you all the time. As yeah, as a copper, you're always looking to help people. That's why you join the job, realistically.
2: Yeah. Those couple of stories, very real stories that you mm. shared just before the break, they're pretty sobering. To hear, yeah, when you deliver those to the kids that you're speaking to, are they the sorts of examples that make them sort of stop and go?
1: Yeah,
2: wow, I need to change my my attitude towards you know sending a nude picture, even though it's someone that they're you know in their teenage years, madly in love with or infatuated with. You know, you get swept up in those sorts of hormonally charged emotions, don't you, when, when you're a teenager? But when you throw something like that on them. Are they the sorts of anecdotes that have a real impact?
1: Yeah, because it's reality, mate. And yeah. and, and uh, I mean, with respect to other educators, there's some people who come out going, "Kids, you're irresponsible. Don't do this. Don't do that. Kids, don't, don't embrace that." Mm. Okay, I, I, without big knowing myself, uh, it, it's I believe I'm having my most success, and where I've continued to build that success is the fact that I'll come out and I understand the kids I know where they're coming from I won't criticize them or bag them but I'll just give them an opportunity to go look this is what I'm seeing there are people in this room right now who think it will not happen to me when I can give you examples that it has happened to people who've said that so to give them that reality and and, and kids will say to me Paul you tell us how it is you don't just come out and sugarcoat it or or Just say Mm. don't do this, don't do that. So for me, that's where it's so important to give them those real examples because they know peers who are probably pushing the envelope in regards to those risks.
2: Being out of the WA police system, uh, where I imagine you would have had more access to the other side, if you like, Mm. um, the criminal element, you know, part of that that criminal part of the equation. Are you still able to keep tabs? on what criminals are doing online as closely now that you're out of the uniform?
1: Yeah, I'm still building a very strong relationship with WA police. Um, and, and also other leading international organisations as well. So you're always touching base with, with key, key players in those fields, which is great. Uh, I also work quite extens- extensively with the eSafety Commission as well, who are dealing at the front, the coalface of criminal online behaviour as well. So for me, it's important to really continue to have my feet in, in those, as many of those doors as I can, but also continuing to listen to my audiences as well, mate. So bouncing off what they're seeing uh, and and you know what it's like. I mean, the schoolyard is pretty much uh, the, the the main intelligence field. Realistically, a lot of the time as well. So, for me, it's about continuing to keep keep that intelligence going as much as I can. Yeah, we, I mean,
2: we hear, you know, on a very surface level, that the the criminals are always getting smarter. They're always mm. one step ahead. Is that the case? Yeah, they are.
1: And and this is one of the biggest frustrations. We we used to have it tech crime. I mean, you you'd close down a, a child exploitation uh, network, and literally you get to the office the next day, and and they've re rebranded and and rebuilt. So so you're always one step behind, and and that's one of the biggest frustrations. It's hard for parents to keep up on top of that. It's hard for all of us to keep up on top of that. So for me, again, it's just continuing to okay. Let's make. Let's stop that make, being able to be so easy to be created. Let's let's start really policing the online world um, in regards to the creation of these environments more readily. And it's not about control. It's not about moderation. It's not about cutting freedom of speech. It, it's about putting some things in place to, to really stop that happening. Yeah. Um, and until we get to that point, I think we're still going to always have massive risk online, but how we approach that risk will mm. hopefully be where the... the, the the, uh, I suppose the control will lie.
2: You talk about the the playground where you mm. pick up all your intel. Mm. Um, it's a pretty big, bad, mm. reckless playground, yeah. isn't it? The online world doesn't have this doesn't have a fence around it yeah. like a, like a school does, and
1: that that needs to change. and, and I mean, people say to me, um, Paul, are there more predators out there? I, I don't believe there's more predators as such, Tim. But what I do believe quite succinctly is the fact that the predators that are out there have access to so many more children than they ever yeah. have in the past in different areas. So, and, and we were speaking before about, OK, at Optus Stadium here, if, if there was... We're talking about volume. I mean, this is where most of the issues occur. Is I mean, 2.6 billion people log into Facebook per day. If we had a, an AFL grand final here again at, at Optus Stadium, the Vix wouldn't be happy. But um, if we had <laughs> one security guard out there for, for sixty thousand people, we wouldn't accept that in the physical world. But no. online, we're accepting that, and we've accepted that for a while. So, so that needs to sh- to shift and and to get a real, true level of protection out there so users can can play safely.
2: Yeah. Well, keep up the good work. Thanks, mate. And it's um, a yeah, great credit to you uh, that you've been recognised uh, in this way. But I know you don't do it for the awards. You do it for the impact that you have on, uh, on kids, on parents, on whoever it is, um, getting them better equipped to deal with all of the, the dangers that lurk online. So congratulations on being Thanks, the... Mate. Western Australian, Australian of the Year for 2022. And thank, thank you. you for sharing your story with us thanks, on mate. the program. Thank and you. Thanks
1: to your listeners as well for joining. Thank you.
2: You've been listening to Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. We we'll look forward to you joining us next time as we unearth another inspiring story.
0: You're listening to Inspiring Stories for Bowra and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything.